Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, good day to all of you. I'm Roger Edrington and just glad to be a part of the people here at Central Christian Church and glad that you're taking the time to listen to God's Word because that's what we're going to deal with today. And today we continue our series in the life of Moses as he was led by fire to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He was led by fire from his earliest encounter with God at the burning bush and then as a huge contingent of Israelites moved from place to place led by a column of fire by night and then a column of cloud in the daytime. Now last week, uh, Pastor Tim took us on a journey about something we probably all know a little bit about, at least I do, grumbling and complaining. And these poor travelers were complaining about food and water, and God provided not just what they needed, food and water, but he also provided what they wanted, meat. It wasn't pheasant under glass or a big turkey sandwich, but it was meat, quail, small edible birds. But sometime later, we learn in the book of Numbers, they're complaining again. Maybe like some of us who don't learn our lesson in one sermon, probably like me. But now they want variety in their cuisine like they had in Egypt. They were slaves, but slaves with food diversity. They complained to Moses, we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. What even is it? Manna burgers again? Manna waffles, manana bread. Well, Moses is the God-chosen leader of this massive project, Exodus. And he's a reluctant leader, as I know I have been at times, and perhaps you have been too. Yet he still follows his calling to lead. But Moses, like every leader and all of us, has some blind spots. Huge flaws in his own life that he just can't see. Now, his trust in God is strong, but he's vulnerable because of what he doesn't see about himself. And if something doesn't change in the way he organizes his life, exhaustion, burnout, and despair could easily set in and and he could give up on this journey for himself and for all of these people that he's leading. Now, what we'll see in today's chapter of Exodus is the entrance of an important person in Moses' life who becomes sort of his blind spot mirror and points out that Moses, or what Moses, is too busy and too distracted to see by himself. Perhaps you've got some blind spots too in your life that you need a friend or a relative or a fellow follower of Jesus to point out. But how will you respond if someone does point that out? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us uh, your word, its truth, and we can learn from the lives of others, and we can learn from the words of others. And today I pray that you would help us to see or get a focus on our own blind spots, the way that we see the world, and that we'd see things more and more as you see them. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 18 introduces a new situation in this drama of deliverance from enslavement. 
Moses discovers what many leaders and observers have also found. It's one thing to lead a huge movement at the beginning. It's another thing to sustain the movement. Moses has to keep these travelers content. He has to urge them forward. He has to stimulate these weary, formerly enslaved people to have hope that they will one day reach their promised land, a a land they've never seen, and they have no idea of when, how, or if they will ever get there. And Moses hasn't been in there either. Now, people are people, and people have blind spots. You and I have blind spots or at least I know you do. And and leaders are people too, so they have blind spots too. And the thing about the blind spots of leaders is that their blind spots can negatively influence a lot of people in big ways because leaders have a lot of influence. So entering into Moses' story is Jethro, not the hillbilly relative of Uncle Jed Clampett, but Moses' father-in-law. Now, we heard of Jethro way back in chapters 2 and 4 of Exodus. Forty-year-old Moses, after being found out that he'd killed an Egyptian and was escaping Egypt for his life, ended up in Midian, on the other side of what we today call the Gulf of Aqaba in Saudi Arabia. So Jethro gave this weary traveler, Moses, hospitality. And one thing led to another, and another thing led to another thing, and Zipporah, one of uh, Jethro's seven daughters, becomes Moses' bride. And that's how Jethro became Moses' father-in-law. So Moses lived in Midian with Jethro's family for 40 years until he was called by God at that young age of 80 to take on this huge leadership role to lead the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt into freedom. So here's chapter 18, verse one. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now did you notice that Jethro is a priest? And you might be tempted to think, well, great. You know, he's a priest devoted to the God of Israel but that's highly unlikely. He's a Midianite, not an Israelite, and he has no priestly blood. He's the priest of some pagan religion, probably following a multitude of gods. But sometimes people who are not the Lord's people are important in our lives as well. And Jethro was one of those important people for 40 years while Moses tended Jethro's flocks as a shepherd in Midian far away from his born with a silver spoon in his mouth life in Pharaoh's palaces in Egypt. Let's read a bit more, verse two. After Moses had sent him, uh, sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, For he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Moses' sons sort of tell the the story of his life. He was a refugee, a foreign, Gershom, and then he was saved by God, Eliezer. Now these verses also reveal something that's easy to miss. Moses had sent his wife 
and sons to live with Jethro for a while. Now that's interesting. We don't exactly know when that was. Perhaps he sent them away while they were still back in Egypt and Moses was challenging Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses wanted to protect his family from Pharaoh's reprisals. Perhaps Zipporah never made it to Egypt with Moses because Moses sent her back after that scary and somewhat puzzling incident on the way when the Bible says that God was about to kill Moses, probably because he had violated the covenant God had made with Abraham and Israel to circumcise their boys. But Zipporah zips out her flint knife and she circumcises their son to avert the judgment of God. Maybe that's when Moses sent his family back. Or maybe it was after the Israelites were actually camped in Midian, quite near to where Zipporah's father, Jethro, lived. But here's the situation now in verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So now there's a family reunion at the Israelites' camping spot near what the Bible calls the mountain of God. That is Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, which is probably two names for the same place. Scholars have debated where this special mountain is. The traditional location is near the end of the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. But other scholars think that the location is actually in Midian in the Arabian Peninsula. And that location would be quite near to Jethro's house in Midian, so they wouldn't have far to travel to reunite with Moses. But we don't have to settle that geographical issue today. The story is true no matter where it happened. Verse 7, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. They were camping. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now, the greetings of this family who hasn't seen each other for a long time must have been joyous. Hey, how's your health, old man? Hey, you're not so young yourself, Moses. But Jethro wants to swap bigger stories than health checkups with Moses. Jethro had heard of the amazing things that God had done. Perhaps Zipporah had told the part that she experienced with them. But Jethro wanted to hear the whole story firsthand from Moses. Let's look at verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, now I know. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. 
Now, you can imagine Moses telling the same stories we've been looking at this summer. The burning bush, the ten destructive plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, manna appearing from heaven, water gushing out from the rock. And Jethro was encouraged. It must have been exciting. He was inspired. I am too. And for us, it's a great thing when followers of Jesus get together and swap stories about God's work in our lives. It's important for us to share the wonderful things that God has done. We can retell the victorious battles over our passions and we can recall uh, how the tough times in our life have developed our character and show how the battle scars, we can, we can show each other those scars we've gained along the way. We can confess to one another the areas where we've not been faithful and yet we've discovered that God has been faithful. And we can report on the way that God has rescued us always from our sin, sometimes from stupidity, and often from the temptations that surround us. So the first point is one of the simplest things we are privileged to do as believers. You might think it's even too simple to even mention, but here it is. Share your joys and sorrows with others. Share them. Now, of course, unbelievers can do that too, but there's something, something incredibly different when God meets you, whether in joy or hardship or just in ordinary daily life. And a new story emerges when God's story meets your story. Telling that story then to somebody else can often influence their story in a way that you would never expect. So it's really worth sharing our stories with one another. Now, when Moses told this amazing Exodus story, we noticed that Jethro praised the Lord. Now, whenever you see the Lord in small capital letters in your Bible, this is God's personal name in Hebrew, Yahweh. So as Moses recounts the stories of what God has done, Jethro, the pagan priest, has a realization about God. He realizes he realizes that God is greater than all gods. The light turned on. Now, perhaps that's what happened to you as you listen to the stories of Jesus. Or maybe as you listen to somebody else tell the story of how God met them. You had a realization that you wanted to follow Jesus. Now the question here I have to ask does Jethro have a full conversion and give up his worship of these other gods that he grew up with all his life? Or does he simply add Yahweh to the top of his panoply of gods? I don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't really tell us. One of the things my pastor friends in India have to watch out for is that when Hindus understand who Jesus is, they don't just add Jesus to the 330 million gods and goddesses they already have as Hindus. Or, or when animists come to faith, we're concerned that they don't just add Jesus to the group of stones and special trees that they believe are animated with life and power and continue to sacrifice their goats and pigs and chickens to placate the spirits. All through the Bible, we see that we are called to worship only one God. The Lord our God is one. 
Now, we don't know exactly where Jethro was in his faith journey. But if he isn't committed to Yahweh alone, he seems to be on his way. And I don't know where you are on your journey of trusting Jesus. Are you on your way, yet still holding on to some false beliefs and practices? Or have you given up all those old idols to worship Yahweh? So, after a great day of fellowship with Jethro, Moses goes back to work. Just like all of us have to go back to work to our ordinary lives after fellowship together. Let's read verse 13 and see what Moses' day of work was really like. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, you can understand why the people need someone to arbitrate their disputes. I mean, they've already shown themselves to be a grumbling and cantankerous crowd. And if they were like that with Moses, we can well imagine that they were like that with each other, especially in their difficult camping experience in the wilderness there. And there are a couple of million of them. I mean, that's as many people as in Santa Clara County. So Moses, the deliverer, Moses, the hero, finds himself required to be Moses, the judge, hearing, settling disputes between the people. It's a natural progression. I mean, Moses, you're our leader. You brought us out of Egypt. And Moses, you're quite good at settling disputes, so you must be our judge. I I know that you do have to work long, long hours, but we need you. You're the only one that we can trust. And sometimes leaders, even if they're exhausted from overwork, love the power. People need me, and I love to be needed, and I love to tell people what to do. Now, I'm not saying that Moses was like that, but power and the perks that go with it often entice people to want more power. And leaders can easily abuse the power that they have. It can happen to pastors. It can happen to business leaders. It can happen to foremen and entrepreneurs. It can happen to union reps and and moms and dads and teachers and even students on the playground. Politicians are especially susceptible to the intoxication of power so that sometimes leaders believe they're indispensable and they can do absolutely anything they want. We all have to be careful of power's allure. As followers of Jesus, we must use any power we have, whether it's large or whether it's even tiny. We use it for the good of others rather than ourselves. Our influence that we have is to be and serve others. So my second point is watch out for the abuse of power. Men controlling and abusing women, fathers and mothers abusing children, politicians and and business people abusing their subordinates. Power can be intoxicating and corrupting. 
Scripture doesn't reveal that Moses has this problem, but we know that we need to be aware of the temptation of feeling indispensable and abusing our power. So then Jethro, in a mixture of parental rebuke and respectful courtesy, kind of that that mixture there, is straight with Moses. He says, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. I think Jethro knows that Moses needs God to be with him because he'll have to see whether he will accept these strong words from his father-in-law. And the lesson we learn from Jethro and Moses, particularly later in the story, is to let others give input into your life. Let others give input into your life. None of us can see ourselves clearly. We don't see ourselves as others see us. We, we don't know how we affect others. And we rarely even see our own blind spots, less, much less try to correct them without the input of others. So who is it that gives you valuable input? Who has kindly pointed out a blind spot to you? Do you listen to them carefully and give their thoughts the weight they deserve? One of the valuable areas of input in the church here is life groups. Now their purpose is not to be a a Jethro and say, what you're doing is not good. No, no. But being in a life group will help you get input for your life from other people and from the Bible. And a life group can help you find someone that you can build that relationship with that someday someone might be able to come to you and say, what you're doing is not right. You have a blind spot. Let me tell you what I see. Now I've been in a life group most of my adult life and believe me, it's worth it. Not always easy, but always good. And I want to encourage you to join a life group this fall and use your life group to to help you grow in your trust in God and joyfully open up some of the blind spots that keep you from being effective in your life. Now, Peter, you remember, was one of Jesus' closest friends. And in his second letter, he lists a number of the qualities that we should make every effort to develop as followers of Jesus. You can see some of them on the screen there. And then he goes on in his second letter and says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed of their past sins. So life groups should help you to develop these qualities so that you will not be ineffective, like Moses was in this particular instance, and unproductive in your faith, like a lot of us followers of Jesus. Peter says if you aren't growing in these qualities, you're short-sighted. You you can't see past your nose. You can't see the past. You can't see the future clearly. And your blind spots will probably just get bigger and bigger until you can't see yourself clearly at all. We also learn from Jethro this important point. Do the main things that God has called you to do. 
do the main things and don't be distracted even by the good things that God uh, could, could put before you or someone else could put before you. Jethro didn't just tell Moses, what you're doing is not good. No, no, he reminded Moses of the most important things that God had called him to do. In verse 19, at the end of the verse, he says, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Your job, Moses, is to talk to God about people's issues, not to settle each individual specific problem. Now, Moses has already talked to God about this people many times, sometimes in exasperation, but always with concern for the people and sometimes concern for himself too. How is he going to deal with this people? But perhaps he was so overburdened with individual problems that now it limited his time talking to God. Then Jethro reminded Moses of his other main calling. Teach them. Teach them his decrees, God's decrees and instructions, and show them the way they're to live and how they're to behave. Moses' calling is teaching and showing. Perhaps he's not concentrating enough on teaching and showing people how to live in this new relationship that they have with Yahweh, and and that's why they have so many disputes. Moses needs to teach and show how their creator knows they should live for their own good. So I wonder, what are the main things you are called to do? I mean, what can you do that nobody else can do? In your home? In your community? In your job? Do that. What are the most important values in your life? Live by those values, no matter how the values around you change. If you're a dad, concentrate on what's key for a solid dad to do. If you're a mom, concentrate what, on what only you can do. Be the best friend you can be to someone by giving your friend good input from God's word and listen to those around you. Too many people talk, but not enough people listen. I wonder if you consider this question very often. What has God called me to do at this stage in my life? What's he called me to be right now. Now most of you are leaders of some sort. Maybe your influence is huge, maybe it's small, but you lead something, even if you only lead yourself because nobody else can do that. But many jobs are just too big to do alone. And some of you are trying to do it by yourself. Leadership is too big to do alone. You need help. Moses, you've got all of Santa Clara County and you think you can deal with all these people's concerns, conflicts, and issues? So Jethro gets very specific as to how Moses can actually maximize his leadership rather than flame out like so many people do today. In verse 21, he says, but select, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain." and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this 
and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Now Jethro didn't say, just choose somebody, anybody to help. He said, choose capable people, godly people, trustworthy people, people of integrity, and let them share a piece of the leadership. You know, some of the people can lead 10 really well. They're really good at small groups. And some of them can, can if they can lead 10, they can probably lead 50. And, and if some can lead 50, perhaps they can be trained to lead 100. And if they can lead 100, perhaps they can grow to a thousand person leader. But how about you? Are you willing to step up and be one of those leaders? Moses had to have people who were willing to step up and do that. If you're a leader at work, are you willing to delegate to others? Or do you just do it all yourself so you can take the credit and keep the power? Or maybe you don't delegate because you don't trust anybody else to do it right. Moms and dads, are you willing to delegate jobs to your kids? Or do you just do everything for them? Now, I have to tell you, I do like to delegate jobs I don't like to my wife. And of course, she returns the favor. Now, here's what Moses did, verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Wow, Moses listened to good counsel. Not many people do that. Even when we're paying for counseling, sometimes people don't pay any attention to what the counselor says. Moses chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for all the people at all times, just like Jethro said. The difficult cases, sure, they brought them to Moses, but the simple ones, they decided themselves. And then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. I wonder if J Moses had all the advice that he wanted and he was kind of saying, Jethro, it's, it's time for you to move on. But Moses still had his job to do. He didn't just sit back in his desert recliner and, and watch others do the work. But Moses shared his leadership with others. As Christopher Wright has noted, Moses was a man who was wise enough to be humble and humble enough to recognize wisdom when he heard it, whatever the source. So we also need to be wise enough to be humble and humble enough to be wise. Now Jethro was a non-Israelite, yet he had gifts of wisdom, possibly born of experience or ordinary common sense. So God allowed the outsider to instruct his chosen servant, and Moses accepted that instruction. The Bible nowhere assumes that only God's redeemed people, Israelite or Christian, have a monopoly on wisdom, practical, common sense, or management skills. And it's a good thing too, because if only Christians have wisdom, the whole world would be a whole lot more chaotic than it already is. And since all people are made in the image of God, they share some of the common revelation of God that's gained from experience and knowledge and maybe eventually wisdom, even if they don't acknowledge that it comes from the Creator. For example, you probably listen to your doctor who's gained much knowledge from studying disease and wellness, even though he or she may not be a believer. 
But of course, we must not overlook the fact that all of us are fallen human beings and can give good ideas or bad ideas with good intentions. And those who are unbelievers have a very different worldview than believers. Unbelievers will miss much of the wisdom of God that can only be gained by receiving God and trusting him and knowing his word. So you have to discern the value of the input you receive. It's your life and you have to live it. But check out what, if you're hearing is God's direction or not. And, and check with other wise believers too. Everyone has been given some bad advice at times. And you don't have to listen to every Tom, Dick, and Roger who comes along with so-called words of wisdom. But perhaps our danger today is we listen far too much to those pundits with the loudest voices, Christian and non-Christian, who lead us away from truth and wisdom and love and kindness rather than toward it. They lead us to anger and hate and overwork and overplay and over-medication and selfish focus on ourselves. And whichever echo chamber you choose to listen to may prevent you from hearing a clear voice from God. Perhaps you're like me and you can look back at some of those victories in your life when you listened to some godly advice. I remember my freshman year in Christian College. It was a long time back. Uh, a small country church near my hometown wanted me to come and be their weekend minister. And I thought, wow, someone wants me to drive 190 miles one way every weekend to be their minister. Maybe I can serve the Lord that way. It was a great opportunity so early in my education. I wasn't sure, but I thought, I probably should do this. This is probably God's will for me. My college had a big brother and big sister program where an older student would spend time with a freshman student. My big brother was Alan Klein. And when I told Alan about this, he strongly urged me not to take that ministry since this was the time in my life when I needed to be dedicating it to preparing well. I listened, and I'm glad I did. I was barely 18 years old, as green and inexperienced as they come. I would have run out of steam and sermons by the third week, maybe before. I would not have been ready and probably would have flamed out quickly and, and probably been discouraged for ministry forever. You know, we all need big brothers and big sisters in our lives. Fellow followers of Jesus, a little bit further along in faith than you, or someone who has just come to an issue that you haven't quite come to yet. So who is yours? Who is your big brother or sister? Who will be your big brother or sister? Pastor Tim can't do this for everyone all the time. The elders and staff can't be the only ones with wisdom. We all have to develop that wisdom from God's word so that we can be dispensing some wisdom ourselves. Moses needed someone to help carry his burdens. You do too. And you need to help carry someone else's burdens too. As Paul writes in Galatians 6, help carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. And then he balances it with, for each of you have to carry your own load. I love this simple drawing from the Good News Bible that depicts 
what our community should always be like. Now, as we look back over the book of Exodus, chapter 18 divides Exodus into two halves. The first half of Exodus shows the salvation and deliverance of God, and the second half shows how they should live. In just a couple of chapters, the Ten Commandments are revealed. But chapter 18 itself could also be divided into two halves. The first half is the celebration of the salvation of God with Jethro and Moses and presumably uh, Moses' wife and children, and, and it sounds like many other people too. The second half of chapter 18 declares how Moses should live as a leader among the people and how the people should live as leaders of small groups. In Christian terms, I think of this as grace comes before law. Grace comes before law. That is, salvation precedes the living out of salvation. How can you live it out if you don't have it yet? And after we realize that we are sinners before God and need his redemption, we are met by the grace of Christ. And then we learn to live out the grace of Christ in down-to-earth, everyday life. Now, people often try to put it the other way around. You know, I'll get my life sorted out and live the way that God wants me to, and then I'll be able to accept the salvation that comes from the grace of Jesus. But it doesn't work that way. Grace comes before law. Now I wonder, one last thing. Who do you identify with in this story? Do you see yourself in Moses, that hardworking, maybe burned out leader who needs a word of wisdom from outside to live in a way that God has called him to live? Do you need to humbly listen to somebody with wisdom and learn from them, even if it's not a person that you would expect to have wisdom? Or perhaps you're more like Jethro, the old experienced sage with some good practical advice, but perhaps you still have a mixed up perspective of God. Are you someone who thinks, yeah, yeah, probably Yahweh, God is, is the best there is, but you still haven't given yourself to become a complete follower of Jesus. Or perhaps you identify with the side of Jethro who needed to care for his daughter and, and grandchildren for a while. Perhaps your son or daughter left you with their children and it's hard for you to care for them. And you're still grieving the loss of, of the time that you thought would be free for other things. I, I don't know if that was a hard time for Jethro. Maybe not, but it might be for you. Or maybe you identify with Zipporah, that strong lady who had the faith and wisdom to do what her husband should have done all along. But now she finds herself among the wisdom and humility of two extremely important people in her life. I know there will certainly be wives or husbands and children who can identify with Zipporah and Gershom and Eliezer, having to endure separation from a husband and father or a wife and mother whose service for God or regular work just takes them away from home a lot. Or maybe you're a husband or wife whose spouse is a workaholic, perhaps like Moses. And you feel the ache of being alone to care for your children and still have to work yourself. You know your spouse needs a word of wisdom 
But perhaps you're not the one to deliver it, but you are praying for your spouse. Or perhaps you're like one of Moses' sons, young and learning to trust God, perhaps watching some good examples of uh, adults in your life, and, and you want to be like them. Perhaps you're like Moses' sons who watched their old dad, the leader, the liberator, the overworked dad who listens to the input of someone else. You would love to have the faith and humility of Moses, but maybe you still find yourself defensive when someone gives you a different perspective of yourself. Yet you know you want to get there, and you're on the way. God has hope for all of these people. And wherever you are in your journey, God has hope for you. And my hope for you is that you will listen to the calling of Yahweh, that you will follow Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and that you will listen to the Holy Spirit, including the Holy Spirit in others. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the life of people who are paying attention today to your word. And I pray that truth would somehow permeate our lives so deeply that we would hear it wherever it's given. I pray for people who need a word from outside, who need somebody to come along with some wisdom for them right now. And I pray that you'll help all of us to know your will, your truth, and your love as well. And help us to receive your grace. For those of us who haven't ever done that, help us to receive the grace and love that you've given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.